0: You know sometimes when you're in the middle of an event, you may not realize how significant the moment is when you're right there at the moment. I don't know if you can think of something in like life like that, where you were there in the day, and, and it was important, but you didn't realize till some time later how significant the moment was. There are significant moments in the life of any organization, there are significant moments in the life of any person. I was thinking uh, this week, there's significant moments in the life of any uh, country, right? And I thought of some of the significant moments in the life of the United States of America. And I thought, if I throw out a date to you, I bet you could tell me the significance of that moment. So if I say December 21st, 1620, you say, what is that? You're not sure it's December 21st, are you? But you know 1620 is the year that the pilgrims landed at Plymouth. You used to know that if you don't know it, right? Uh, How about one that's maybe a little more recent than that, but still a ways in the past that we might know in this area of the country that other people might not know in another area, April 19th, 1775, Yeah, beginning of the Revolutionary War, shot heard around the world, Lexington and Concord, uh, the start of the Revolutionary War. July 4th, 1776. Signing. Signing of the Declaration of Independence, right? It's interesting, one man at least noted how significant that was, only he got it off by a couple days. John Adams wrote a letter to Abigail Adams and uh, he said, I believe July 2nd will be one of the most significant days in the history of the America. He said, this day will be celebrated, July 2nd, with parades and pomp and circumstance and illumination and games for years to come. He got it right. He just was off by a couple days. July 2nd was the day that the Constitutional uh, Congress, uh, in closed session, voted to approve the Declaration of Independence. But of course, uh, July 4th, that date that's on the actual document, is the one we celebrate as it. All right, let me get a little more recent uh, on on dates, and maybe uh, some of these will will come up. Uh, December 7th, 1941. The Empire of Japan, the day that we'll live in infamy, the Empire of Japan has bombed Pearl Harbor. Yes, November 6th, 1944. D-Day, I heard someone say it, D-Day, the invasion of Normandy, right? Uh, That one there. November 22nd, 1963. John F. Kennedy was assassinated, and I wasn't born yet, but many of you that were there tell me you know exactly where you were on that day. This one's a little more obscure, but maybe you'll get it. It's not American history, but it's huge in world history. November 9th, 1989, Berlin Wall Wall came down. And I say that one because that's one in my lifetime that I do remember. I remember sitting in school and watching the television and watching that wall come down and having no idea the significance of what it meant. Because it's 20, I didn't understand the 28-year history of that wall being up. I didn't understand what it meant at that point in my life, separating what, the, what communism, what the cold, I didn't understand what a cold war was. I thought it was just fought in a cold territory. I didn't know what that meant. Sometimes you don't realize the significance of it, but for other people who remember the day that wall went up really overnight, it was a significant day right? 1989. Um, September 11th, 2001, uh, terrorists into New York and, um, and uh, Washington, D.C. and the plane down in Pennsylvania. And many of us remember that day. Uh, and it, it was interesting to me last week in watching some of the coverage of it, listening to the news reports from that day after all this time has passed, it was amazing to me how many reporters on that day got it, that I didn't get till much later. It was interesting to me listening to reporters that day talk about this is going to change the way we travel through the air. This is going to mean we're going to have a war on terror. This is and I was like, wow, they were saying that on that day, and it took a lot of us a while later to get it. Significant days in the history of our world. Um, October 27, 2004. Red Sox win the World Series. Uh, that was in a significant date, uh, and, and in history, at least for me, anyways. Uh, significant days throughout history uh, that we would remember. But sometimes on that day, you don't realize how significant it is. If I say April thirteenth, nineteen ninety-five, you don't say anything. One person might, though she might not remember it. That was the day I met Wendy Major for the first time. Um, And I didn't realize the significance of that day going home on Easter weekend uh, with my friend from college to his home and meeting this young lady named Wendy Major and, and starting the relationship that started really that weekend and hasn't stopped, thank the Lord, since then. Um, but you don't realize the significance sometimes of things that happen in your life and in the moment. We come to a passage of scripture this morning where I think people that were right there in the moment missed most of the significance of what was going on. I think people that were there during this uh, incredible moment in the ministry of Jesus completely missed the significance of what was happening. They saw what happened, they realized who was involved, but they missed why it was important. I think that's sometimes true with us. We kind of know what happened, we kind of know who's involved, but maybe we miss why it's so important. And I think that happened in this passage, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31 and going through verse 37. This is what it says. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, "Ephaphatha," which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This passage is about an incredible miracle of Jesus, and at the end, people recognize how incredible this miracle is. This man is brought to him who's deaf, he can't hear, obviously, and has trouble speaking. We don't know exactly what that meant, but it sounds like from the wording he could try to speak, but he wouldn't be able to communicate and the people bring him to Jesus. And we don't know completely what they're asking for because they said they ask him to touch him. And we automatically assume well, they're asking Jesus to heal him. And maybe they are, but at the end they're so surprised that Jesus actually heals him, it could be that they were just asking Jesus to bless him. And so they bring him to Jesus. Jesus takes him aside and then he goes through a very demonstrative process of healing him. And I don't know if you've ever read this passage before, even as I was reading it this morning, you might be wondering why. Why does Jesus do this? Because other times, in fact, just a few verses before, Jesus just speaks a word. And he, a few verses before, Jesus says, go home, the demon has left your daughter. Never met the daughter, never saw the daughter, didn't, wasn't in close proximity to the daughter, but immediately the daughter was healed and delivered but not in this case. In this case, the man is right in front of him, and Jesus sticks his fingers in his ears. He spits and touches the man's tongue, sighs, and then prays to God and asks that he would be healed. I don't think Jesus is presenting some paradigm of healing here, I don't think that every time someone prays that someone needs for their hearing to be restored, that they need to stick their fingers in their ears. I don't think that's what's going on here at all. What's going on here at all is I think Jesus is very lovingly and very compassionately meeting this man right where he's at. Think about it. He's completely deaf, and he can't speak. Think about what it must have been like to go through his life like that. When everybody comes up to you and automatically assumes you can hear and just starts talking to you, they realize you can't. They probably start talking louder. They, they, then, you, then they get frustrated, maybe start screaming and mouthing words to you. Finally get frustrated and just walk away angrily. Imagine what his life must have been like. People constantly avoiding him because of the awkwardness of his situation. So if Jesus were to say, I'm going to heal you, he hears nothing. So what Jesus does is, I think, he resorts to a sort of sign language. He meets this man right where he's at and explains completely what he's about to do. He makes sure there is no question about the fact, I am going to open your ears. And he puts his fingers into his ears. And he's right in front of that man, and he spits. And in that culture, the understanding is the life that is in me is going to be used to cause your tongue to be able to speak. And so in a moment, when you're able to speak, know that it is because Jesus has touched you that you'll be able to speak. And then he lets out this deep sigh. It's only a couple paces in Scripture where we hear that Jesus sighed. But the idea is that compassion is present there. And finally, it says he looks up to heaven. And so so Jesus is communicating, the healing you're about to receive comes from above. The healing you are about to receive comes from the Father above. And so know when you can speak and hear in a moment that this healing that you have received came about through Jesus praying to his Father in heaven. And then he says this Aramaic word, which means be opened, which we understand as maybe opening his ears or opening his tongue, but really is such a much deeper and rich word to, to basically say, you know, open yourself up to the work of God. Be completely open to what God is about to do in your life. And so this man receives this healing, and even though he couldn't hear, and even though he couldn't speak, he knew exactly what, what had happened, and who had done it for him. And so did the people around him. They knew what happened, and they knew who did it, but I still think they missed the significance of the moment. I think they missed what was really happening in this moment. At the end, they say, he does all things well. Even the deaf hear, even the mute speak, and that's true. I still think they missed the significance of the moment. Mark didn't want his readers to miss it. It doesn't come across as clearly in the English, but let me just for a moment give you a, go back into the original language this gospel was written. It was originally written in Greek. The Greek word that Mark uses for mute or can't speak is a very unusual word. In fact, it's only used one other single time in the Greek translation of the Bible. It's found in Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 and 6. And in English, it says this, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Leave that up there for a second, John. This is what's called uh, what scholars would call a messianic prophecy. In other words, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, Isaiah wrote these words. And he said, when the Messiah comes, this is how you'll know he's come. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. And the mute tongue will shout for joy. And that word for mute tongue, that Greek word, very unusual Greek word, is the exact same word that Mark uses in Mark chapter 7 to make the clear connection that, look, what's going on here is that this Jesus is not just a healer. He's not just someone there to do miracles and heal, although that is a sign of his kingdom, but it's a sign pointing to who he really is, which is the Savior and the anointed one of God. That's what was going on. And Mark said, I don't want the readers to miss that because the people missed it. You know how I know? You say, How do you know the people missed it that day? This is how I know they missed it. This is how I know that this little group around this deaf man, even though they said he does all things well, even though they said he, he makes the deaf hear and the mute uh, speak, even though I said all that, I still think they missed the significance of it. And here's why Does it bother anyone else? that these people are astonished at what Jesus did. And then the very next thing they do is directly and immediately disobey a direct command he gave him. Does that bother anyone else? I go back to the end of that passage in chapter 7, John, just to, just to put that up there to see exactly what Jesus says. Jesus commanded, can you say that word with me? Commanded let's say it again, fourthly, commanded them not to tell anyone. Like he didn't suggest it. He didn't like say, oh, I'd rather it. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. And I think if you've grown up in the church and you've read these passages for a long time, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what happens. You know, Jesus tells them not to talk, and they talk anyway, and it's a cute little thing that happens, and, and, and we just kind of get past it. But if you didn't grow up in the church, and you're just hearing this passage, you're like, what's going on? Jesus just told them not to do it, and then they go, do it. There's a, there's a real theological word for what's going on here. It's called disobedience. Disobedience. They completely and immediately and obviously disobey a command that Jesus just gave them. And that's how I know they get it, but they don't get it. They get kind of what just happened, and this man was healed, and Jesus did it, but they don't get what it means. They don't get the significance of what it means for Jesus. They're kind of amazed but they're not changed. They're transfixed, but they're not transformed. They're fascinated, but they don't become followers. I think they want and they love what Jesus can do. They just don't love Jesus. Not yet anyways. Because Jesus said in John chapter 14, he very uh, clearly defined the people who love him, he said, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Say that word with me, obey. Obey. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come into him to make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So Jesus very clearly says, look, if you love me, the one who loves me will obey me. So these people in this, in this passage, they got it, but they didn't get it. They loved what Jesus could do for them, but they just didn't love Jesus. What they missed, and what Mark didn't want his readers to miss, was that Jesus didn't just come to do healings. He came to heal to point to who he was and to point to the Father. It showed that the kingdom had come, and this was God's anointed one. This was the Savior. He came to say that your problem is so much bigger than you think it is. Then not being able to hear or talk, that's a big problem, but your problem's even bigger. And God's answer is even greater. Well, your real problem is you're stuck in your sin, and there's no way out of it unless God sends a Savior. And that's who I am. And that's what Jesus is saying. So here's the thing for us. I think sometimes, before we're so hard on these people at that time, I wonder if sometimes we get it, but we don't get it. I wonder if sometimes we get information but miss the implication for our lives. I wonder if sometimes we're fascinated by Jesus. We just don't want to follow him every place he wants to go and wants us to go. I wonder if sometimes Jesus gives us a command or we read about his teaching in scripture or we come and sit in church and we hear it shared or we go to a Bible study and we hear the truth and we just kind of walk away and continue to just live our lives the way we think they should be lived. I wonder if we come to church and we say, wow, we clap and we say, Jesus, that's great. That was incredible what you did and, and what you here shared. And wow, someone came to faith and, and came through a very difficult time. And God, you are wonderful and you are wonderful. And then we go out and we don't love our enemy or any other teaching that Jesus shared. That sometimes we're, we're, we're transfixed but not transformed. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so we can come in and talk about how much we love God, all we want. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so when it comes to something like loving your enemy, Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love them even when they hurt you. I want you to love them even when they don't deserve it. And Jesus shows us, I want to love them when they're crucifying me. And I want you to love, and I want you to forgive, even when they're hurting you. And we think, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's nice, you know, that, that's a nice teaching, but it doesn't play out in the real world, and yet Jesus calls us to it. Or, or Jesus says, you know, I, I, I want you to gossip. You know, gossip is, is is wrong, or you know, we think, "Wow, well, I got to share this." In one breath, we're astonished; in another breath, we're directly disobeying Jesus. And, I, and we can go through a whole bunch of things that Scripture teaches about. But the point is, in your life, is there anything in your life? And as I look at my life to talk about and say, "Do we do we get transfixed with Jesus, but not live transformed lives?" but not go out of here and live our life in accordance with the way Jesus teaches? Or do we go out of here and just live our lives the way we think is the best way to live our life and kind of make sense? When you wake up in the morning, is it, Jesus, how do you want me to live today? When you have a tough meeting, is it, Jesus, what do you want to come out of this meeting or is it I'm just going to go on my own thoughts and wisdom and think what I was right? I know he's telling me not to say anything, but he doesn't really mean that. He can, of course he wants us to tell people. And it says Jesus commanded. Well, how do you know where you are on this? I thought, well, maybe one way is just do you listen to yourself pray? You ever listen to yourself pray? I listen to my kids pray a lot especially at dinner time. They won't let me pray at dinner anymore. You can guess why. They pray a lot faster than me. So, who wants to pray at dinner? Their hands go right up. They're already praying before I even get the sentence out. But I listen to them pray, and I try and bring some guidance to it, because often the prayer is, bless this food, bless this day, let's eat. Amen. You know, that was, that was it. And I thought, well, that's learned behavior, right? So, probably learned it from me somewhere. But I try, I try and structure it. I try and bring some direction, right? And I said, well, maybe we should thank God for something instead of just demanding him to do things. Maybe we can think of something to praise God for instead of just telling him to bless what we want him to bless. And, and I, you know, he do it in a kind way. And it, but I, I just wonder about our prayers, do we love what Jesus can do for us? Or do we love Jesus? Do we love that he can make the deaf hear and the mute speak, which is incredible. That should point us to him. It's awesome. But does that point us to just loving Jesus? You know how I know when my kids love me? I love when they tell me that they love me. I mean, I mean if you're a parent, you might love, I love that, I love that. You know, when they say it, especially when it's, you know, of their own volition, you know, and, you know, force it out of them. You know, and and they just come up and they say, I love that, but you know how I know when they love me? You know how I know when they do things that show that they love me without being asked, right? I remember one time a couple years ago, I was, uh, we were getting ready to put hardwood floors in um, in our living room, and so I had to rip up the carpet that was, that was in there. And we were a, going, I forget where we were going. We are going on a trip the next day somewhere. it. So I had to get it done that night. Uh, I had to get the carpet ripped up and taken out. And it was like the last thing. I don't know why I left it the night before we we're leaving someplace, but I did. And so I, I just start ripping up this carpet and rolling it up and tying it up and putting it in little bundles. I'm going to take it down to the garage. And, and then Isaac, who I guess he's about seven at the time, comes along and he picks up a roll of carpet and he throws it on his seven-year-old shoulder, and he walks down the stairs and he throws it down in the garage. And I just watched him do that and I didn't say anything. And then he comes back up and takes the next one, throws it on his shoulder, and throws it down in the garage. And probably did this about twenty times. And I, I remember it because I remember even journaling about it that week and thinking it's really the first time. And he did a great job. He said, I can only share that story if I tell you he did a great job. He did a great job. <laughs> and and, and, he, and I, I remember noting that day because I remember thinking, it's really the first time that I can just note something significant that he did. I didn't ask him to do it. I didn't pay him to do it. He just did it because... It needed to be done because he was helping his father. I mean, maybe the first time it was fun, but not the 15th time, throwing one of those carpets on your shoulder and carrying it down. It's not fun anymore. But I remember thinking that was the first time I completed a task that I would not have gotten done if my son didn't help me. And I think with God, maybe it's the same way, that we sing songs, and I think he loves to hear that. We pray prayers, and I think he loves to hear that. But when we obey his command, and when we live our lives in accordance with his word, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, even when we think this doesn't make sense, even when the world around us says, oh, that's an ancient way of living, Even when the world around us says, no, you don't have to live that way. You shouldn't live that way. And we say, no, I'm going to obey the word of God. And I'm going to obey what Jesus said. I think it's in that moment that God's able to know we get it and we love him. And I think in... This passage, we see a group of people that didn't quite get the significance of the moment. Jesus gave them a command, and they immediately disobeyed it. So I know they weren't there yet. And this morning, are you open? Are you open not just to God doing a miracle in your life, If you need that, if you need a healing, then I pray that you are open because God is here. God does that. He's still in the miracle healing business. That hasn't stopped. But I think a lot of times we're open to the healing. We're open to God doing that. You don't even have to be a Christian to be open to the healing. Have you noticed that you can talk to your non-Christian friends when they get a cancer diagnosis and say, hey, can I pray for you? And they're like, yeah, hey, Whatever. You know, I don't go to church, but if your God wants to heal me, I'll take it. I'll take it from wherever it comes. They're open to that. A lot of people are open to that. But are you open not just to a healing from God? Are you open to God being God? Are you open to Jesus being Lord? Are you open to Jesus being the anointed Messiah, God of your life? Everything that you build, everything around such that every decision you make Is built around him and who he is. Are you open to that? Are you open to living for him, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week? Are you open to going through difficult times for his sake? Are you open to that? Because I think when Jesus said to this man, be opened, it wasn't just his ears and his tongue, he was speaking to his life. It's just saying, be open to what God is going to do in you. And where are you with at that? Do we love God for what he can do? Or do we love him because he's God? Praise him and lift him up because of who he is. Because he's given us grace. Because he's blessed us. My prayer for us this morning is that we would be open to that. Seek him, yes, for what he's able to do. That's wonderful. He wants to. He invites us to. But worship him because he's God, because he's Lord. Worship him. Let it point, and Don't miss the significance of what he's done in your life. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and we're going to spend some time and prayer together and as we do our uh, elder teams are going to come and we want to be available for you for prayer um, are you astonished and disobedient at the same time i just being honest right that's where these people were at they were astonished at what Jesus could do. And yet, immediately the next moment, they were disobedient to what he asked them to do. And so, we're responding to God's word today. And there's one group of people here where you might be sitting here and you'd say, You know what? No one else knows. No one else knows. But when I'm here on Sundays, you'd never guess how I'm living during the week when no one else is looking. And maybe you would say, you know, I'm, I'm here and I, I love Jesus with my words, but if I'm honest before him, my actions are not lining up, that I am sitting here saying, wow, look what Jesus can do, but tomorrow, tomorrow... I'll go and live a life the way I think I should live it without even thinking about Jesus. I don't know if that's you, but I know that happens. I know it happened back in Jesus' time. I, I think we all at times find ourselves in places like Paul did where he says, look, the good I want to do, I, I don't do. And the, and the bad I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And we wrestle with this. And so maybe this morning you have to come to Jesus and just say, God... I don't want to live that way anymore. I I want to be astonished and amazed. I want to be transfixed, but I want to be transformed too. I want to live a life that says I love you. And so maybe whatever it is in your life, and I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's envy. I don't know if it's gossip. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know if it's sexual issues or addiction issues or or, or abuse issues. I don't know what it is, but you and God do. Do. I don't know if it's selfishness or greed or slothfulness or gluttony. These are just all things, right, that sometimes we don't like to, you know, we just, oh, he didn't mean that. And and yet, the one who loves me is the one who obeys what I say. We can't do this without his Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about doing this in your own strength. I'm talking about coming to God and saying, God, I need you to set me free. I need you to break the bondage. I need you to stick the fingers in my ears. I need you to touch my tongue. I've tried on my own. I need you to set me free to live the life for you that you've called me to live. And so as we respond to God's word this morning, these elder teams are here. They'll pray with you about anything. But if you... Especially, I want to say, if you need a healing in your life, they'll pray with you about that. I'll leave it to them whether they stick their fingers in your ears or not. But they'll do what God's calling them to do. But they'll pray for you. But if you also are here and you just need to say, you know what? I just need to have some time with God because I need to alter the way that I'm living. That's what this altar is for. (laughs) We're a living sacrifice. We alter the way that we're living. It's the altar is a place where something comes to die and change. We alter the way that we live, and you just need to come and kneel and spend time in God's presence. You can do that too. We're going to worship for a little while, give you a chance to respond to the Lord in prayer and, uh, and listen and allow the Lord's spirit to work. Would you stand with me? Father. God, I ask that we would be open to the work of your Holy Spirit within us. Father, too often we get it but we don't get it. We see how wonderful and awesome you are. We acknowledge that and we believe, and yet it doesn't transform and change the way that we live. So God I'm asking this morning that your Holy Spirit would search hearts and would just speak God, the amazing thing about a moment like this is I cannot go and speak to each individual person, but your Holy Spirit already is. And so I just pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us each. And God, if there are places in our lives where where you have just said, hey, I remember, I, I, I asked you to do this, and we've just been living our own way, God, would you straighten us? Would you, God, Give us mercy and help us to live our lives for you and just recognize that you are not just the healer. It's not just your hand we seek, but it's your heart and your your love. Would you focus us to the fact that you are our savior, that you are God's chosen anointed one. Lord, we come to you this morning to ask that you would do your work. Lead us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.